Good morning, church. Good to be home. Open your Bibles, please, to Matthew chapter 14. we got a rock. We're under about 15 minutes behind schedule this morning, and I have much to do. It is good to be home. I enjoyed a great hunt in Iowa. Gail spent some time with the kids and some close friends in New Mexico. Uh, and I know you were left in good hands, especially in the area of preaching. Wow. I got a chance to hear Greg's sermon from last Sunday, and I promise you, it is the best lesson I've ever heard on 2 Corinthians 12 in my life. It is a joy to get to serve alongside another preacher who is very, very gifted in the areas of preaching and writing, and our brother Greg is. Amen. We're continuing in our series that I'm calling Follow, and I hope that by now you have a much clearer picture in the difference between what it means to be a Jesus admirer and a Jesus follower. Two weeks ago, we saw that He will ask you for room in your life. He will ask you, as He asked Mary, to prepare room for Him in your life for His Holy Spirit. Because a follower of Christ is going to be marked by the presence of the Spirit of Christ. Well, last week, Greg helped us see that rather than hiding our weaknesses, Jesus is also going to ask you to powerfully use them and leverage them as opportunities to reveal that Spirit, His strength in you and through you. This week, Jesus is going to be inviting every single one of us who have any desire whatsoever to follow Him to get used and to get comfortable with a lifestyle of faith. Walking by faith, not by sight. Dealing with circumstances in ways He commands us, not based on what we think about that, but because of what He's called us to be in that. And that takes faith. And that's not easy. Admirers are inspired about hearing by faith. They love to sing about faith. They love to study faith. But rarely do admirers ever attempt anything by faith that really they couldn't do in their own strength. I want you to see through my favorite apostle this morning that not only is a life of faith a possibility, listen to me, it is a necessity to be a follower of Christ. It's a message that I'm calling Petered Out. Anybody ever heard that phrase, Petered Out, used before? My uncle Gus used to use it all the time. He was a farmer, and he'd come in from a, in the middle of the afternoon from a long morning's worth of work, and he'd have him a glass of tea always about 10 o'clock in the morning and, and have one of Grandma's uh, banana nut bread cakes or she had some muffin she cooked up, and he'd almost always sit down and say, man, I'm petered out. Well, I want to flip that phrase because his petered out meant I want to sit. This petered out means I need for you to go. And I pray with all my heart that if you walked in here this morning and you aren't petered out already, and that this sermon doesn't peter you out, that the Spirit, when we're done, will peter you out out of here. Let's read the text and pray. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side of the lake while he dismissed the crowd. After he dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. But shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake and when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. 
Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come out to you on the water. Well, come on, he said. And then Peter got down out of the boat and he walked on water. And he came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And he began to sink and he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and he caught him and he said, Oh, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat and the wind died down, then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. And when they had crossed over, they landed at Gennesaret. May the Lord add the blessing to the reading of his word, and let's pray. Great are you, Lord, worthy of all honor and glory and praise. You are amazing. You are awesome. And to be reminded that through this text this morning humbles us, renews us, we hope, restores us, enables us, strengthens us, encourages us. Father, we realize we're not the only one this morning who are in need of that. We lift up also our brothers at the Church of the Hills here in our community and ask you to please bless them in their efforts to hear your voice and to respond to it this morning and to be everything that you've dreamed for them to be in the body of Christ. We ask the same for us here in this place. Father, please help us get out of our own boats. In Jesus' precious name. And everyone said. I heard about a gentleman this week. He was in a car accident in East Texas, the East Texas town of Kilgore. Anybody from Kilgore? Oh, there we go. A little Kilgore Range Red, as a matter of fact. I forgot about that. Just a few years ago, he was knocked unconscious in a collision. Fuel was leaking from the vehicle, and so a passerby, a very compassionate passerby, made the necessary but risky decision to remove him from the vehicle before the authorities got there. They helped drag him, literally, for fear of an explosion, to a gas station and laid him out in the parking lot. Well, just about the time that they get him situated, the medical personnel arrive and go to work on this injured driver. Well, the unconscious man suddenly becomes conscious, which brought a sigh of relief to the EMTs. But after a few seconds, the man's eyes shot wide open and he started flailing his arms, attempting to get up and get out of there. And he was doing this violently. He was trying to push away the medical staff. He was swinging at the medical staff. It became so nutso there in the moment, they had to not only restrain him, but sedate him on the site. Well, several hours later, when he had come back to his right mind, one of the EMTs, who was now wearing a shiner because of his attempt to help this guy, came to him in his room and said, i just got to ask you, what was it that happened when you started flailing and trying to thrash us? And the guy just apologized upside and down and said, I'm so sorry, I just found out... I was unconscious whenever I was laid in that gas station. Well, I come to find out it was a shell station. Well, I didn't know it, but somebody was standing in front of the S. Some of you are just now getting that. Good, good. Oh, someone just got it right over here. Good. Sooner or later, we all need help reading a sign. Because mistaken meanings not only lead to unnecessary emotional trauma, in some cases, false ideas about where we're at. Brother, when it comes to determining whether you're an admirer or a follower of Jesus Christ, you need to know where you're at. 
As we begin this series of lessons, there are some folks who show up at the judgment in Matthew chapter 7, and they have done so assuming that they're followers and they have been nothing but admirers. And it costs them dearly. And where they were going is not a shell station, but a hell station. Sooner or later, we all need help reading a sign. And it's my prayer this morning that Jesus helps us read the sign of this text because He's calling us, hear me clearly, if we're going to be followers, to walk by faith. Admirers only sit by faith. The disciples get into a boat in response to the obedience of Christ. This is not a request. The Scripture says He made them get into the boat and head to the other side of the lake which carries the connotation of something that's much greater than a request or a suggestion. The disciples obey and they launch out in their little dinghy to what amounts to about a four-mile trip from one side of the lake to the other. And a couple of the disciples with them are seasoned boatmen. They're seasoned fishermen. And they're accustomed to being in these boats, but they are not accustomed to the waves and the winds that they get buffeted by when they're in them. It rocks their world, this little journey across the lake, and they're struggling in it. When Matthew records this, he actually translates the word, the waves were buffeting their boat. I just have to laugh that that's a modern translation. Anybody here use the word buffeted this week? How about this year? How about this lifetime? I've never used the word buffeted. It actually comes from the Greek word tortured. Tortured, I guess. All right? So please hear that these disciples are moving across this lake and torturous waves and winds are coming against them. When I was 12 years old, my grandfather and I were doing a little bass fishing out here on Lake Calaveras in San Antonio. And I'll never forget, we were about two miles from the boat, the boat ramp, the boat dock, when a squall came in and hit our little dinghy. Scared me to death. Now, now those waves could have been more than two or three feet high, all right? But just, I remember trying to get back, and all of a sudden the rain descends upon us, and and the lake starts churning up, and and we probably weren't in a life-threatening situation. I don't know. But these guys are. I was scared to death, and I was just a 12-year-old. These are seasoned fishermen who are used to being in boats like this, and they are scared to death. I think it's worth noting that this passage shatters, I mean absolutely shatters any idea that just because you obey Jesus and do what He says that there's no guarantee of smooth sailing. Friend, if you're just putting your foot in the water of trying to decide is this Jesus thing for me, I just want to tell you right up front, you need to know that if you decide to follow Jesus, you most certainly will find yourself in troubled waters. Now, I can't guarantee that. I don't know how long your life is going to be, but you live any length of time following Christ. I can almost guarantee you will find yourself in choppy waters obeying and following the one who is called life. Jesus says to these fellows in the boat, I need you to go over here. And they obey Him. And they begin moving to a destination He wants them to head to. And they run into a squall. Just because you're thorough in obeying Jesus' directions does not mean that you have some insurance policy in avoiding troubled waters. Admirers will think that's strange, but followers will think it's expected. Now, if you think that's unexpected, you need to buckle your seatbelt because Matthew tells us 
somewhere about the fourth watch of the night, again a term I'm not very familiar with, but sometime between 3 and 6 a.m., Jesus comes to them in the midst of this squall walking on the water. Now that is so out of the box unexpected for these disciples to see Him doing this, they don't say, oh look, how wonderful, it's Jesus, finally. No, the text says that they're going to add to all the stuff we're dealing with now, a ghost? They can't figure out what that is. And then I think a miracle within a miracle happens in the midst of this squall. Jesus says something the disciples actually hear. Take courage. Don't fear. It's me. Actually, the text says, it is I. Now, the words, it is I, really are tremendously significant because they're the Greek words, ego, ami. Now, it sounds a little Italian, but really it's Greek. Ego, ami. Say those with me, all right? Here we go. Ego, ami. One more time. Ego, ami. Important words in Scripture. And translated they are, it is I. But another translation of this phrase, many of you who have studied Scripture at all will get recognized and get immediately. It's I am. I am is the name that God gave to Moses before he delivers Israel from Egyptian bondage. And any Jew hearing this story would have immediately made the right connection. He's using God's name to refer to himself. Well, this is a boat full of Jews. And Jesus is saying, take courage, I am. Do not be afraid. That does not rock our boat when we hear that. But I promise you, these Jews in this boat heard something that maybe we don't hear this morning. And Peter decides to take courage. He says, all right, if you want me to take courage, I'll have some. And just when you think a story can't get much crazier, Peter gets a big dose of crazy. He cries out, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come out on the water. Now, you guys grew up with this story. You know these lines were coming. They are expected from us now, but I promise you, they are anything but expected words in this unexpected situation. And the disciples had to think, Peter has water on the brain. Where, where does he get this stuff? Instead of saying, Jesus, will you get in here and help us? Peter's saying, will you help me get out there? That doesn't compute. That sounds like lunacy. It sounds like faith. The rest of the disciples are clutching the back of the beam of the boat, and they apparently are suffering from lockjaw. They don't say anything. But Peter wants to be with Jesus. Now, I know this sounds absurd, but it seems to be in the context Peter is thinking, it is safer for me to be in the company of Jesus out on open water than here with my buddies in a safe boat. He wants to be where Jesus is so much that he does something that in the moment seems absolutely like lunacy. And you know what? Scripture never records Jesus ever turning anybody away who ever wants to be with him. So he tells Peter to come. Peter steps over the edge of the boat on the wave of the sea to where Jesus is and God bless him. Admiring's not enough for Peter. Following Jesus to where he is is all that could be enough. 
and Jesus becomes the first wave runner in history. But Peter's number two. If there was ever a place, number two is a good place to be. This is where it's a good place to be. Jesus Christ, the first wave runner in history. Peter, number two. He walks on water. He walks on water. He walks on water. Not for long. And you know what? I think for most of my life, I am focused on the not for long. (laughs) When God, I think what He saw was He's walking on water. Look at it. He took me at my word. I said, come on, and so He's coming on. Well, the rest of the guys maybe gave him a hard time because, oh yeah, look, it's Mr. Little Faith. Well, look at who they are. They're little no faith. They're no faith. The guy walks on water. Now, he loses his focus. And he takes his eyes off of Jesus. And he begins to think instead about all the chaos that's around him rather than the Christ that's in front of him. And he starts to sing. And anybody in this room who's tried to be a follower and walk in faith anywhere with this Christ in the world knows this. I know what it's like to say, Lord, I believe. Call me out. Let's go. Let's get in it. Only to get in it and all of a sudden the stuff and the frustration and the resistance that buffeting my life, torturing me, just starts causing me to lose my focus. And when I lose my focus, I lose my footing. And not before long after that, I lose my faith. And I start sinking. I don't know who gave credit to to give credit to for this. I just found this quote. Fear is the dark room where the negatives of our lives are developed. Peter knows what that's like. He experiences it and he starts going down and Jesus refuses to let him sink. He puts his hand in Peter's and with it he regains his focus. And when he regains his focus, he gets his footing and together they walk back however far they've come to the boat. And the text says they finish the journey together. Not a bad epitaph. But here's the question I want you to ask this morning. Why? Why would Jesus do this? What's necessary in coming to these disciples walking on water in the midst of a storm? He's been around the lake all the time. Why why didn't He just stroll out, grab a fish, and come on back in? Why do this in the middle of a storm? Well, I've had a little bit of time to think about it in a deer stand this week. And one of the things that I thought of this week was a story about Mark Twain. Twain was fascinated with Jesus. And one year, he took his wife on a trip to the Holy Lands. And while he was there, he decided to surprise her with a romantic moonlit cruise on the very sea that Jesus walked on. And so they go down to the dock and Twain asked one of the attendants, how much for a moonlit ride? Well, Twain was wearing his signature white slacks and his white jacket and his white cowboy hat. And he would later write, the attendant I know was looking me over like I was some kind of wealthy old person from Texas. And finally, once he'd gotten through looking me over, he said, well, for you, 25 American dollars. Wow. That was a lot of money in Twain's day. Probably about 250 to $300 in our own money today. So Twain replied, no, thank you, sir. And at those prices, it's no wonder Jesus walked on water.
I love Twain's humor. But I don't think Jesus walked on water to be thrifty. I do believe he walked on water for a specific reason, or at least a couple, and I'm going to share two with you. Number one, to show us what an extraordinary friend we have in Jesus. And I've emphasized the word extraordinary more so than friend for a reason. Almost the end of the life of Jesus borders on fantasy, I think, for many of you here who are just visiting and just beginning to say, well, what is this Jesus stuff all about? You need to know that for those of us who know Him as friend, what's extraordinary about that is that He is like no other in the world. Now, over the last 25 or 30 years, I know the church has celebrated Jesus as friend And I think that's been both needed and biblical. However, there's something that's that's kind of bothering me a little bit lately about all the friend talk. We need to forever remember Him as our friend, but He's so much more than my heavenly buddy. He's the almighty Son of the ever-living God. That's what makes Him an extraordinary friend. So it's the extraordinary That needs to be emphasized, not just the friend part. Although I'm thrilled that we've emphasized the friend part for a long time now. When I take the time to think about it, how awesome this this event is. And again, I had some time to think about it for the last couple of days. It makes me want to rearrange how I use the word awesome. I mean, in our culture, you know it. I mean, from, from pizza to pro athletes, everything's awesome. Well, it's made me want to rethink how I use the word. Maybe, just maybe, there ought to be one word in my vocabulary that's reserved for Jesus. The Holy Son of the living God who walks on water. That's awesome. And if I use the same word to describe my waffles as I do the wave runner, something's got to change. All right? So I've been thinking about this this week, and a little suggestion for you, that's a freebie. But this is awesome. He's awesome. And I can't believe he wants to be my friend. And friend he does. These historical eyewitness documents I'm reading from this morning, historical eyewitness documents say this man walked on water in the midst of a storm to go get in a boat with some of his followers. And one of his followers eyewitness account, stepped out of that boat and walked on water as well. That's awesome! And that's what He wants for our lives, church. If we will get petered out and have a little faith. Jesus' reference here to the I am part of the greeting a few moments ago is underscored by the disciples because you need to know this is the very first time in Scripture that the disciples say, that's the Son of God. Yes, you may have said you are I Am, but we're agreeing you are the Son of I Am. You're not just a prophet. You're not just a great teacher. You're not just a worker of wonders. We agree you are I Am. Well, if that's true, and you agree with that, then here's what I think the Scripture is saying to all of us. Then He has the authority to speak some things to you about how He would like you to act and think and behave if you're His follower. 
if you believe that, that He is the Holy Son of God, I heard you sing it. I heard it celebrated in the summer, but in, in, in the summer, in the supper. I heard you. But if we believe that, we are left with no choice but to get petered out. Jesus has something He'd like to say. I know specifically that some of you who walked in here this morning in your own storms, in the midst of your own struggles, and I don't know what they are. They could be a myriad of things. But I want to say this, whatever those things are, Jesus, seeing Him in the midst of those storms, changes everything. And sometimes He's got a sportsman, hey! Gail, hey! Don, hey, I need your attention over here. See, some of you are getting petered out in the wrong way. I need your attention over here. And he does that best in a storm. In a storm. Now, I, I hate that that's true, but it is. When I look back in my lifetime and I look over the things where God is most deeply, you sing, I want to go, I want to go, Deeper, Lord, with you. You sang it a few moments ago. Well, if you mean that, you're, you're about to go into a storm. You're about to meet some resistance in the, in the things of this life. You thought I was going to move from this seashore to that seashore. I, I just knew it, getting my marriage back on track was going to take this amount of time. It's taking this amount of time. And it seems like resistance every step of the way. You thought, okay, Wow. This recovery from a shoulder surgery is going to take this amount of time and, and moving from this point of the lake to this point of the lake is taking this amount of time and it's resistance every step of the way. You thought making things right with your daughter after basically abandoning them while you worked on a career for your whole life was going to be this easy. Well, it's not. It's not from here to here. It's here to here and it's resistance every step of the way. And Jesus comes to me and says, Hey, look at me. And if you see me and realize I am, life gets better quickly. Storms help us to see Him more clearly for all that He is. They just do. Paul says, I want to know Christ in the power of His rising. I want to share in His suffering, be conformed to His death. When I pour out my life to be filled with the Spirit, joy follows suffering and life follows death. You've sung the song. Do you hear what we're singing? I want to know Christ and the power of His rising, yes, to sharing His suffering, be conformed to His death. When I pour out my life to be filled with the Spirit, joy follows suffering and life follows death. Yeah. And resistance and struggle and storms. This revelation that Jesus is the Christ comes in the midst of a storm. It doesn't come on a sunny day at the beach, singing Kumbaya, it comes in a storm. It doesn't come in an air-conditioned building with songs and preachers and comfy chairs. It comes in a storm. It doesn't come in a wonderful answer to a glorious prayer that we've been praying. It happens in a storm. And I just want to prepare you because we've been talking about the last several weeks. We want to be followers of Christ really that know this. He is going to in your obedience, 
leads you to places where it gets resisting and stormy and chaotic and troubled because He'll come to you then and you'll see Him like you've never seen Him before. Some of you are in transitions right now and I'm telling you it's just draining you that it's taken so long and I'm sorry. On one level. But then on another I'm not. Because you'll see Him there if you're looking. See, we followers see storms differently. <laughs> well, the craziest sections of Scripture we're about to read. Here we go. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance, and perseverance finishes its work so that you may be mature and complete, lacking in nothing. That's crazy. Believing that's going to take some faith. But followers can look into a storm and see something the world can't see. They see someone who walks on the water of that storm. And they believe that if he's saying, come on, I can come on. Jesus isn't the only one who walks on the wave in the story. I love the fact that in the the mercy of God and the wisdom of God, he, he lets Peter be empowered to do this. But listen to how he does it. And i got to rock it. Lord, if it's you, tell me to come out to you on the water. That's not how we ask for permission. Lord, if that's you out there, would you tell me to come out there? What, what is going on with that? None of my girls have ever said to me, Dad, tell me to borrow the car. My wife never says to me, Jimmy, tell me to buy more antique dishes. I never say to Gail, Gail, tell me to go play golf with the Robertson clan today. Tell me to eat all the Bluebell ice cream in the house. I never say those things. No. None of us make a request to do things by asking the person in charge to command us to do it. What is Peter doing here? Here's a thought. Could it be that Peter has followed Jesus long enough to know that when Jesus commands you to do something, He'll empower you to do it? Tell me to come to you on the water because He knows if Jesus commands Him to do so, He's going to empower Him to get out of that boat and get on the water. Now, why would He do that? Because here's what Jesus has seen. His history with Jesus and storms has been... Now, see, there was an earlier storm. This is the second storm in their life. There was an earlier storm. Jesus comes, is in the boat with them this time, and He speaks to these wind and these waves, and when He commands winds and waves, they obey Him. That's in His history book. In His history book is Him walking with His disciples, not just admiring Jesus, healing people, and, and casting demons out of them, but no, Jesus says, guys, I want you to go out and do the same. And they did the same. Because He commanded them, He then empowered them. Now, that's in Peter's history, but maybe that's why he's saying, Lord, I need another command here. Tell me to get out of this boat because I know that when you command me, you'll then empower me. Please, church, get Petered out with that, all right? Where God commands you, He will empower you. And I need that whenever I go to the Sermon on the Mount. And I'm reading some stuff in there. And I'm going, Really? Are you kidding me? You want me to do that? I can't forgive them again. 
I can't let this lawsuit go. No, I need my money and I need some pound of flesh, really. There's no way it's more blessed to give to receive. There's no way I can sober up. There's no way I can lower myself to serve like that. There's no way I can love Him again. Jesus says, I'm sorry. As the one who is the way, stands on the waters that you're struggling against and says, you can't? Really? Or you won't? Oswald Chambers says, Beware of worshiping Jesus as the Son of God, professing Him as the Savior of the world while you blaspheme Him. By the complete evidence of your daily life, He is powerless to do anything in you or through you. Ouch. Peter followed Him out of the post and He walked on water. What does He want to do in your life? What is it that He would like you to walk on that you've been sinking under? You know what it is. I don't. Greed, anger, lies, lust. What? Impatience. Depression. What is it that's just been, the resistance has been incredible. And you're weary with it and you're frustrated and you're going nowhere fast. What is it? I don't know. But if you walked into this room this morning and you know this message was for you because right now your little dinghy is going down, please hear me. Whatever it is that's pulling you down, Jesus says you can walk on if you'll just get out of the boat and trust Him. If you'll believe He is the I Am. The I Am. Now some of you may be in the second group this morning. You walk in here and, and you know what? A couple of months ago, a couple of weeks ago, you took Him at His word and you started focusing on Him. And you know what? You've been doing things to, to break free from some stuff that's been holding you down. You've been walking on top of them. People are going, how did you do that? I mean, I've, I've never seen this in you. I've never, how, how did you... And you give it credit. The Spirit's done it. God's doing it in my life. Now, others haven't caught on, but you know what? While, what they haven't seen is you've been slipping. You're sinking. You've lost some focus in Him. You've lost a little bit of your footing now. And now your faith has been waning. And you walked into this lesson this morning and God's saying, how about getting petered out? How about getting out of that boat that you're in again? And following me, fixing your eyes on me, believing it's me that does it, not you. Come on. Maybe this morning you're just at the back of the boat holding on for dear life and you don't know where to turn. You just need some help to just see that there's help. Well, I understand that. That's why we have people that are at the back and at the front at the end of every service. For people who don't really know what the next step is, they just know that staying where they are, clutching onto the life they have, can't be the answer. That maybe, just maybe, this Jesus who is the I Am could be. And they take a few faltering steps to run to someone and say, could you help me see my way through this? only knowing that I've got my eyes fixed on Him too. That this isn't about me. I'm just a representative helping you to see what I see. That's all. Helping to pray that He'll empower you like He's empowering me. Jesus did not become the first wave runner in history so that He was the only wave runner in history. 
What do you say, church? Let's add to the numbers, all right? You're going to have to get Peter out to do it, though. And that's not easy. But it's what followers do. We close with this story about Bill Moore. He knows more about what it's like to walk on what you've sunk under than maybe many of us in this room. He was an alcoholic and he shot a man for $5,000. Killed him in cold blood. Gilmore wound up on death row and a couple of followers of Christ came to see him in prison. Because of that, he got a chance to hear the real story of Jesus that he'd never taken time to hear before. Yes, he'd heard of Jesus, but he'd not met Jesus. That's revealed in the Gospels. And he had all the time in the world. And he found him. Or Jesus found him. I hear Jesus shows up a lot in prison. And he became a follower. Oh, he became a follower. Over the years of his walk with Christ on death row, he changed so drastically. Prisoners saw it, prisoner guards saw it, that they actually gave him a nickname called the Peacemaker, not because of the weapon that he used to kill a man, but because of the man they saw in him that he couldn't be on his own. The Peacemaker. Whenever there was a squall that would break out in the, in, in the jail between two inmates, they'd call in Bill Moore. Whenever an inmate and a, and a guard weren't doing well, the, the overseer of the whole prison system would call in Bill Moore. There was something about him that was just, it was almost miraculous in the peace that would come because of where Bill Moore was. Word of this got back to the family who suffered the loss of their son at the hands of Bill Moore. They had to come see this for themselves, and so they came to the prison to beat Bill to, to beat. <laughs> they really wanted to, but they couldn't. But they wanted to at least meet him and to see for themselves what Bill Moore might be like. They were so amazed and overwhelmed with what they saw that for the next 16 years, they worked in every paper war possible to get this man not only paroled, but free. And after 20 years of trying, finally they got Bill Moore paroled. And today he works in a section of our country with the homeless and those who are trying to get a second start on life again. It's one of the most impoverished places in Chicago. That didn't happen with admirers. It happens with followers, though. And Bill Moore will tell you every single day takes my keeping my focus on Christ to keep me out of that place. It's amazing what faith in Christ will keep you out and get you out. Come on, church. What do you say? Let's get Peter out. Together. Father in heaven, we come to you this morning grateful. Grateful that this is more than just some fantasy book we're reading. Eyewitnesses, historical evidence, that a man by the name of Jesus walked on water and then he empowered someone else to be able to do it? God, really? Really? We want to believe, but help our unbelief. We've been under some stuff for so long, we don't know what we... If we can help you out, please come find us at the back and at the front. We're just messengers. We're just going to point you straight up to someone who's saying, who say, I can help you out if you'll let me. But we'd love to pray over you for that. And if you've come this morning and you said, I'm ready to put on Jesus Christ and get out of these sins in my life and get that Holy Spirit you were talking about, 
please come while we stand, while we sing. Wonderful mercy.